The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel can be found at our website, myemmanuel.net. Scripture says that God inhabits the praise of his people. He loves it when we come for his glorious grace to worship together. And we need it ourselves. It's, uh, worship is the experience that kind of knocks off the dust of this broken world. And it helps us turn our attention to God's word, which is what we want to do right now. Last week, I started a series of sermons. I, I'm not quite sure how long I'm going to preach them, but they're, they're going to all be centered around grace. And last week, to the best of my feeble ability, I used uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, which is kind of the, the primer on grace. You can find grace almost anywhere in the New Testament. You can just let your Bible fall open and you'll find grace. But Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is really the, the heart of the instruction for a new believer about grace. And what we discovered is that the Bible uses some words like unfathomable, immeasurable, incomprehensible, unsearchable. It's, it's infinite in its capacity. And grace is when God bestows his uh, favor on us, even though we don't deserve it. I gave you a kind of like a, an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So you and I are given, not just given, but we'll read this morning again, that we are lavished upon. We have this grace that's lavished on us <clears throat> so that we might know grace on top of grace. And we might have the favor of God and the, and the love of God and the mercy of God, e- even though we, we don't deserve any of it. We discover that the, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that Jesus Christ died for us. He died for every uh, man and woman and boy and girl on the planet so that we might have this. And, and last week, I just spent as much time as I could to try to help you see it as majestic and beautiful and unimaginable. And, and, and grace is amazing. So that when John Newton would write, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, every one of us could identify with that. If you're here and you're a, if you're here last week, here this week, and you're kind of a creative, uh, artistic, musical, imaginative kind of person, then, then that kind of message on grace probably just, probably just hits you right in your wheelhouse. You probably just left praising God and shouting his praises and, and thinking of poetry you can write and, 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 and music you can write and, and paintings you can paint. And it's just, it just strikes us as that. And, it, and, and God's grace deserves all of that. Some of the greatest music, some of the most beautiful art and poetry has been written about the grace of God. But some of us aren't creative. Some of us aren't artistic. Some of us aren't musical. I sit backstage and sing at the top of my lungs by myself. Nobody knows how bad it is except me. But I can do that. It's just part of that. So if you aren't that kind of person that's artistic and creative, if you would describe yourself as more of a practical person, 
if you're a nuts and bolts kind of person, if you were here last week and you're like, that, that sermon on grace was really great, but what can I take to work with me Monday morning? What can change my marriage? What can help my relationship with my in-laws? What, what can help me if the boss says there's going to be layoffs? What can help me if the doctor says I think it's cancer? What gets me through everyday life? If you're a person who washes the dishes at your house and you take out the trash and you make sure the bill's paid while everybody else is being creative and artistic, then this morning's sermon is for you. Because grace is both majestic, beautiful, unimaginable, and the object of great artistry, and at the same time, it is practical. So this morning is the practical side of grace, still in the same passages that we looked at last week. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm an I'm, I'm a old guy, so I still like a Bible with uh, pages and paper because I like to write in it, and, and uh, sometimes I, I, I'll get uh, uh, my color pencils and I color all the words that are the same, and I'll draw arrows to another verse where the thoughts are connected. I like all of that. If you're more of an electronic person, uh, Uversion is, uh, I'd highly recommend that because when you're here, uh, if you've got it on your phone, you can go to Uversion, go to menu, go to events, you'll find a manual. You'll find the passage I'm going to read from, and you'll find the sermon notes there as well. And I think there's a way you can add notes to that. So you find what fits you. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that one in the rack. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take that and give it to them. We're in the Bible business. We give them away. We want people to have them. So bring a Bible. Use it. Use it to study. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, let's study this morning what makes grace practical. And the first thing that makes it practical is the purpose of grace. That God gives us his grace, but it has a purpose. Let's see what they are in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to begin in verse, uh, let me begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. That's how these blessings come. That's how grace comes. We talked about it last week. It only comes through Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That means before God ever said, let there be light, he knew that he would save us. He knew he would send Christ to die for us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And the scripture says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. So, This morning, as I talk about the purpose of grace, I don't have to delve in it really deeply because Pastor Jeff, just a few weeks ago, taught this wonderfully. So I'm just going to kind of remind you of what he said and then make some some remarks as we go along. So the first purpose of grace that I want you to see is that God wants you to know that you belong to him. God designed you. God created you. There is a place in your soul is in, in the soul of every person on this planet to want to belong. Most people on this planet uh, chase after counterfeits. Uh, and, and we spend our whole life doing this. We start as elementary age kids and we go home and we want the same kind of tennis shoes that all the other kids have. We want the same kind of jeans that all the other kids have. We want the same kind of haircut that all the other kids have. And that's a counterfeit of belonging. We think if we change the outside, we'll feel belonging on the inside. It happens all the way through middle school, often through high school. Some adults still fall for it. They, they, they'll, they'll do whatever they can to get into this sorority, that fraternity, this club, 
Uh, they find somebody along the way. They think they've found belonging in a romantic sense. They get their tattoos, each other's names on their arms, and then they've got to change that name later to be somebody else's name. You know how that goes. It's because they want to experience belonging. They, people will do anything to belong because God made us to belong. But there's nothing on this planet that can satiate the soul because the soul has a, it has a place in it that, that only God can satisfy. God made you to belong to him. So the first thing that we read is that it's God's purpose that we be adopted into his family. He, he predestined this before he ever said, let there be light. He chose us. He wants us to know and belong to him. Secondly, find verse 7. It continues and it says, in him, that's speaking of Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, we have forgiveness of our trespasses, and all of this is according to the riches of grace. See, it's all about grace. It's the purpose of grace, which he lavishes upon us. We're going to talk about that verse more as we go along. And he, he makes known to us the mystery of his will. It's some things he makes known to us according to his purpose. So what's another purpose of grace? Now, it sounds like a funny sentence, but it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's not true. One of the purposes of grace is that God wants you to know that you have a purpose. So God's purpose is to know that you have purpose. Uh, I want you to think about some people that you know, and every one of us know some, and most of us know a lot. There are people that you know, and they don't, they don't know their purpose for life. In fact, their life can be described as purposeless, meaningless. They don't have any significance. They don't have any direction. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. They, they lack purpose. People who lack purpose are very easy to identify. They have anxiety. They have depression. They often have alcohol abuse. They often have drug abuse. Uh, sometimes they have uh, 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 eating issues. They don't, they, don't, they, just, they don't know where they're going. They're lost. In fact, Jesus uses that phrase to describe people without a purpose are lost. But you and I have been called to an eternal purpose. You and I have been called to an everlasting relationship with the Heavenly Father that we can have through Christ Jesus. It gives us significance. It changes our lives. See, that one there doesn't know his purpose right now. He's trying to figure it out. <clears throat> so there's always weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. See, I told you they're easy to identify. So uh, think about this. Now, we know this in Montana. We know this. We are always at the top of the all 50 states in per capita suicides. We know people who don't have purpose. And God wants you to know it. And I'm going to talk more about it in just a little bit. There's a third thing here in chapter one. Like I said, Pastor Jeff did this so beautifully. So I'm just kind of rehearsing what he's already said. Find verse 11. There's a third purpose here. It says, in him, still talking about Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him. See, this is all the purpose of grace, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, here's the phrase I want you to see, to the praise of his glory. In him, still talking about Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance. That's the second time he mentions our inheritance. 
until we acquire possession of it. And now for the second time, he's going to say, to the praise of his glory. So what are the purposes of grace? Number one, God wants you to know that you belong. You belong to him. Number two, he wants you to know you have purpose. Number three, he wants you to know that you have value. You have worth. Now, the the phrase, you, you may have not recognized it, but the phrase, to the praise of his glory, is God's way of saying that he values you more than anything else that he created in all the universe. And the deer and elk and, and cows and duckbill platypus and giraffe and lion can't be really to the praise of his glory. But you and I, who are the zenith of his creation, created in the image of God, have the capability because he set on us, he set on you, on your soul, a higher value than anything else on the planet. Let me see if I can describe it to you this way. Let me paraphrase John 3.16. For God thought you were worth so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now do you understand how much worth and value you have to the heavenly father? It's to the praise of his glorious grace. He, he thought you were so valuable In order to save your life, he was willing to sacrifice his son's life. There isn't any other value in the universe that can approach that. That's what you have. The world doesn't value you. Have you already figured that out? Earthly stuff, earthy stuff, the earth doesn't value. Life is cheap. They'll they'll take life, they'll murder life. Somebody will walk up and kill two cops. They don't care about elderly life. They don't, care about, they don't care about unborn life. The state of New York passed a law that if they try to take an unborn life and an abortion and they botch it and the baby's born healthy, they can kill the baby after it's born healthy. Pass that law. The law's on the books in New York State. Your life doesn't have any value when it comes to earthly stuff. But the, to the Heavenly Father... You have a value that's unapproachable. You have a value that's unimaginable. He was willing to sacrifice everything for you. There's a fourth purpose here in this passage, and then we'll wrap it up. Find with me verse 15. Paul says, for this reason, that's a purpose statement. See, the whole thing's about the purpose of grace. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I never cease to, uh, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you, now I want you to notice some words here, may give you a spirit of wisdom. Notice the word wisdom and of revelation. Things are revealed to you so you can understand it. And in the, here's the third word, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts, not your head, not your brain, but your heart, your soul, enlightened. Notice the word enlightened. Four words, wisdom, revelation, knowledge, enlightened, all of this that you may know what is the hope to which you are called. The fourth purpose is this. God wants you to know that you can know. Whenever I have a conversation with somebody who doesn't know the Lord, I discover that they don't know anything. 
Now, that doesn't mean they don't know grammar and they can't do math. I'm talking about spiritual things. Because when you have a conversation with them, that it ends up, they just, they just don't know anything. They're like, well, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. And, because nobody really knows. And the fact they, they talk about, well, you know, when it comes to the economy, nobody really knows where to invest. When it comes to politics, nobody really knows who to vote for. Nobody really knows. They live in a world, and Jesus describes the world as being lost because they don't know. Now, now listen, you cannot know everything about God because he's infinite in his being. But the idea that since you can't know everything about God, you can't know anything about God is a lie. The Bible says there's a lot you can know. Look in this passage. The Apostle Paul is not haphazard in choosing his words. You can have wisdom. Things can be revealed to you, revelation. You can have knowledge. That's knowing. You, you, your, your heart can be enlightened. All this that you may know. The Apostle John, chapter 5 of 1 John says, All these things are written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. So many Christians, they wake up, I hope I'm saved today. Hope I go to heaven if I die today. I don't know if God's with me today. I don't know if God left me yesterday. I don't know if I'm going the right direction. That's not how God intended for you to live. God didn't save you and then go, okay, good luck. I'll see you when you get to heaven. He's given his, he's given his word. All of this, this, all of this you can know. This is, this is why I know that you don't know what you should know. Because your Bible is a little bit like the owner's manual to your car. It's in your glove box, right? You have never read it. You don't look at it. It would have to be a dire emergency for you to get it out. And even then, you just use it to, like, prop up your coffee, right? But, but we have the owner's manual to life, and it's written that you may know. God wants you to know. So think about these purposes of grace. You belong to God. God has a purpose for you. He has set your value at the highest thing in the universe. And he wants you to know that you can know. This is the nuts and bolts of grace. This is what gets you through work. This is what guides you through tomorrow. This is what keeps you from going the way of the world in terms of addictions and depression. And there is a process to grace. Now, uh, I don't have time to really just tear apart uh, Ephesians chapter 2, but Ephesians chapter 2 describes the process of grace. It begins, verse 1, and says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. So it it starts with before we knew Christ, before we came to grace. It describes us in verse 12. And it says, remember, he's talking about when you didn't know Christ, that at that time you were, number one, separated from Christ, number two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, number three, strangers to the covenants of promise, number four, having no hope, and number five, without God in this world. The idea that we all have grace is a false idea. Grace comes through Jesus. You don't have the grace of God until you have the Son of God. He's the one who changes your life. Now, how does that happen? Well, there's a process to grace. When you read it all together, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and you read it all together. In fact, fact, the way to do this would be like rewatch the sermon online, go and get it, and then when you get here, just pause me. My wife would love to be able to do that at home. Just pause me. 
and, and then read it together seamlessly, one and two. Then, then start me back again, and then when you read it all together, you'll discover there are words like pre, predestined, preordained. God chose us before the foundation of the world. So God is doing things to us. When you get to chapter 2, you discover that most of those things are what we would call bad or hard we're without hope. We're without God. We're, we're outside the commonwealth of Israel. We're strangers to the covenant of promise. We're, we're walking in the, in the prince of the power of the air and the sons of disobedience. These are, all, these are all terrible things. It's because almost nobody comes to Christ through just a straight path of fortune and prosperity. Nobody comes to Christ that way. If you just have everything good that always happens to you, you start to think it's because of you. And your pride keeps you from coming to Christ. So what does Christ do? Because he loves us, he sends hard things into our lives. And a tree falls on our car, and the hot water heater blows up, and the basement's flooded, and the doctor says it's cancer, and the boss says we're going to lay you off, and hard things happen. So here's how the process of grace goes. God does things to me. By the way, those without grace always think, well, he did things to me because he's punishing me or he's trying to get me back. No, 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 no. That's not how grace works. Because what's God doing? He does things to me so that things can happen in me. What does he want to happen in me? Forgiveness, redemption, adoption, the recipient of his inheritance. He wants to lavish, chapter 1, verse 8, he wants to lavish his grace on me. He wants me to know belonging and purpose and worth and value. So he wants to do this in me. But, but it doesn't stop there. God does things to me so he can do things in me so that he can do things through me. So many Christians don't even get past that God does things to me. Like, why did God do this to me? And then they don't ever see what he's trying to do in them through grace to change them into the likeness of the image of his son. But some Christians figure that out, but then they never let grace flow through them. God never saved you thinking that you were a spiritual cul-de-sac and you were the end of the road. In fact, you're not a, you're not a lake. You're not a pond. You were created to be a river. And the purposes of grace come to me to do a work in me that that grace might flow through me into someone else's life because they need the grace of God. For a little while, I was like, I don't understand this. When you get saved, God should just beam you up to heaven because you, that's been your journey, right? You had your whole journey. You finally come to Christ. You realize you need him. You give your life to him. This should be done. You should be in heaven. It should be perfect. No more sin. That's where it should be. Why isn't it done there? Because you're not the last person that God wants to save. So God does a work in me because there's others he wants to reach, others he wants to bless, others he wants to save so that he can do a work through me. That's the process of grace. For many Christians, the reason grace never flows through them to their neighbor, to their families, to their people they work with is because you think that you're supposed to do that in your own power. And it, and it scares the hoobies out of us. And you get ready to, 
have a conversation about eternal things and you try to do it in your own power, then here's what happens. The saliva leaves your mouth. It comes out the palm of your hands. And then you say to your friend, do you know that Jesus loves you? And you just get scared because you're like, you think, you think it's up to you. Or it's about your technique or about your words, that they have to be perfect. And people say, I can't do it. I don't know my Bible well enough. That's, that's not how grace works. God just wants your availability. And so what does God do? When you make the commitment to allow grace to flow through you, he will empower you. So there's a third practicality of grace. We discover a purpose of grace We discover the process of grace. But before I leave you, I want you to see, maybe this is the most important part of the sermon, the power of grace. Go with me back to chapter 1. Find verse 19. Okay? Chapter 1, verse 19. Here's the Apostle Paul. Uh, In order for this to make sense, I almost got to start. Remember verse 17? Go to verse 17. He says says, uh, that the Lord that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you, and I, and I enumerated these words for you, spirit of wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of him, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that you've been called to, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance. That's the third time he said inheritance. And whenever he says riches, he's talking about grace, that he's given to all the saints, verse 19. And he also wants you to know something else because he's still using the same verb. I want you to know this. So in verse 19, he says, and I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. Now, the the power of God attends the grace of God, and so it's only for those who believe. The, the, The unbeliever doesn't have spiritual power because he hasn't experienced the grace of God. It attends those of us who believe. Now, look at all these words that speak of the power of God, the immeasurable power of God. It says, according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What would be the greatest demonstration of power on the planet? Resurrection of the dead. You bring somebody back to life. Nobody can do that. You can't even come up with a vaccine for COVID. Nobody can do this. Only God can do this. It speaks of his power. And what other power does he have? He took that same Jesus and he raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places. Here are words for power. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And it's above every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put everything under his feet. Do you, do you see that there's no power in the universe like this? So, Number one, when it comes to the power of grace, I want you to understand it's immeasurable. It's unfathomable. It's incomprehensible. Just as God is infinite, just as his grace is infinite, so his power is infinite. Remember chapter 1, verse 8? I said I was going to come back to that. He lavishes his grace on us. Do you know what that means? It means that God just pours it out on you, and if you can't even take it all in, he doesn't worry about it because he doesn't run out of it. He he doesn't run out of his grace, and he doesn't run out of his power. Did you know in heaven there are no rolling blackouts or brownouts? Yeah. So he doesn't run out of power. When you pray, he doesn't go like, oh, yesterday I had a real problem in Iran. Could you catch me in a couple days? Uh, My power will build back. It's not like a fuel tank. 
His power is immeasurable. There's a second thing I want you to see. I want you to see that this power is meant for you. Here, let's do this. Let's do this Bible study together. It started back in what I read in chapter 1, verse 19, where he says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? The power is for us who believe. Go, go to chapter 3. Find verse 7. Of this gospel, the Apostle Paul is speaking autobiographically, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Do you see it's about grace, right? I was made a minister of the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. The Apostle Paul was given this grace and given this power so that he could do the work of God. Skip with me down to verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, whenever you see riches, he's talking about grace, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Skip to verse 20. This is a benediction that's used a lot of times at the end of a service. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power, but look at the next phrase, that's at work within us. Do you understand? This is not what God did. God didn't go, I'm so happy you're saved. I know life is going to be a struggle. It's going to be really hard. But when you get to heaven, I'll see you there. Good luck. That's not what God does. The Bible never teaches that. It always teaches us that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And that we are empowered by the purpose of his grace to take on this life, this world. And the power is immeasurable and it's for you. It's not just for the Apostle Paul. It's not just for Billy Graham. It's not just for Mother Teresa. It's not just for the super saints. It's for you. And all you have to do is just like grace. You receive it. You just plug into it. You accept it. And it's yours. Now, this is where we get messed up. Listen very carefully. The power of God is not so that you can have a new Corvette. The power of God is not so that your retirement account can be bigger. The retirement uh, is not so that you'll be more popular. The, uh, the, the, the power of God isn't so that you can have anything earthy or earthly. That's where we get mixed up. We take our own selfishness, we read the scripture, and then we apply it to our selfishness. And of course it never works. It's not intended to be earthy. It's spiritual, it's eternal, it's divine, it's majestic and beautiful. I have an inheritance declared from before the foundation of the world through Christ Jesus, and it's mine. So I'm empowered to get there. That's where I'm going. That's the purpose for my life, that God's grace would flow through me. That's your purpose. Your purpose isn't your purpose. Your purpose is God's purpose. When you align yourself with God's purpose, you get God's power. Now, God's power is recognizable. Here's what I want you to get. God's power is recognizable. Uh, the person that I struggle with the most, and I'm not going to like name a person's name, but the kind of people that I struggle with the most is not, not unbelievers. Unbelievers are lost, they don't know stuff, so we're sharing with them the grace of God. 
But I struggle with people who declare themselves to be believers and who are grumpy. I, my soul, I struggle with grumpy pants believers. I struggle with people who call themselves Christ followers and they're whiny, bitter, angry, pessimistic curmudgeons. Now, what we do sometimes is we actually have a conversation. We say, do you think so-and-so is really saved? Because I don't see any fruit of the Spirit. We talk like that. And and the the Scripture says, that's not for us to judge. So I, I can't judge whether or not you're really saved. But you know what I can actually judge? Whether or not you have the power of God on your life. Because the Scripture says the power of God, the power of grace, is recognizable. How do we recognize it? We recognize it by love. The power of God in our lives is recognized by love. You want to see the scriptures here? Look with me, chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Now, the whole thing's been about the power of God back in verse 7, back in verse 16. So we have the power of God in our life so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in grumpiness. Is that what your Bible says? that you might be rooted and grounded in bitterness, in hostility, in anger, in pessimism. No! The power of God is recognizable because you will be rooted and grounded in love. And verse 18 goes on talking about love, that you may have the strength, literally power, to comprehend with all the saints. This is meant for all of us. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of love? And that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses brain power. It can only be realized at at the level of the soul, at the level of the heart. That you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And this is the only way that you can ever be filled with the fullness of God. Your Christian life is how grumpiness, then you're not filled with the fullness of God. You're not filled with the power of God. The power of God is recognizable, not because you drive a new car or because you're popular or because you're healthy or because you're rich. The power of God is recognizable because you love the unlovable, because you love a broken world, because you love a depraved world, a wicked world. Because the world, think about the world for a second. The world that we live in right now is what? Hate between races, hate between people and cops, anarchy, riot, looting. If President Trump doesn't do this, we're going to burn the face down. We don't look like the world. The world doesn't know how to love. But we, the recipients of grace, because God did a work to me, and then he did a work in me, and he's doing a work through me, and he empowers me to do the, he empowers me for that work. You say, how do you know you're doing it. How do you know you got it right? Because it's loving. Because you love your neighbor as yourself. Because you love somebody that nobody else cares about. Because you know how to embrace people and point them to Jesus. And the grace of God and the power of God exudes out of our life. You can't, in fact, when this kind of power, the power of grace is on you, you, you can't even hide it. You can't even hold it back. 
Jesus said, everybody will know you have it. Everybody will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. This is what the power of God is for. So if you say, I don't really have any of the power of God, then ask yourself, are you fulfilling the purpose of grace? Because the power of grace attends the purpose of grace. And if you're outside of God's purpose, then you're certainly outside of his power. Now, this is nuts and bolts. This is just... This is just as practical as it gets. You can take this to school tomorrow. You can take it to work tomorrow. You can use it with your mother-in-law later tonight. This is it. Now, if you want to meditate on the fact that God loved you and you didn't deserve it, and that merit came to you through the blood of Jesus, and it's immeasurable and unfathomable and unsearchable, and incomprehensible, and, you, and you're going to just think of it and then paint a sunset, wonderful. If you're going to do it and write a poem, fantastic. You should meditate on it. God means for us to meditate on the unsearchable riches of grace. You should spend some time there. But if you need something for your boss tomorrow morning, grace is also there for you. And grace guides you through the fact that you belong to him. He has a purpose for you. He's going to do a work in you so he can do a work through you. And the work through you will be attended by the power of God if it's attended by the love of God. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I wonder if God hasn't spoken to you this morning. In fact, I really suspect that he has because in spite of the fact that I am a flawed servant, the scriptures of itself says that God's word always accomplishes its purpose. And this is one of the miracles that happens every Sunday morning. I don't know your journey. I haven't talked to you. I don't know what your week was like. Maybe it was really good. Maybe it was really bad. But God brings you here in your journey. And he puts a particular passage on my heart. And he takes that word of God. And he applies it to exactly the place that you are in life. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing to me. It's another evidence of the grace of God that he loves you so much that you would take some time out of your busy week to come and sit for a few moments, prepare your heart by singing some praises, and then say, God, speak to me. And then he does. So when he speaks to us, what do you think he wants from us? Well, let me suggest to you what he wants is a yes. He doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to maybe. He doesn't want to, I'll wait. He wants you to say Yes. If you've never given your life to Christ, say yes to him today. Give him your life. You will know all this grace that we've been talking about. If you're here and you've already given your life to Christ, I want to ask you, are you walking as if you belong to him? Are you walking in the purpose that he has for you? Do you realize how much he loves you and how you're valued? Do you know that you can know? Have you understood that he wants to do all that work in you so that he can do a work through you? And the work through you will be accompanied by his power if it's accompanied by his love. God doesn't, he doesn't invite you to the team because he needs your intellect or your IQ. He just wants you to come and love people like he loved them. And when that happens, powerful things happen. I'll bet you already know the person that God's put in your life that you're supposed to love. And I'm sure it's more than one. So why not make that commitment? Why not say yes to that right now? Father, 
You know every heart. You know every one of us. We stand naked before you. There's not a thing we can hide in your presence. And you have foreordained before you ever said, let there be light, that we would be adopted to your family. We would be the recipients of grace. But more than that, that your grace would flow through us. So, Father, this morning, we say yes to you. We say yes to your grace, yes to your purpose, and yes to your power. And, Father, we pray that what you choose to do through us will be recognizable by our love. This we pray that you would do in the most wonderful and precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Remember I read a a verse and I said this is usually a benediction. So we're going to turn to it for our benediction this morning. Listen to it. Now to him who is able, that has to do with his power, he has the power to do far more abundantly. Think about the words. Not Not just to do abundantly, not to do more abundantly, but far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen. Pastor Eddie. listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at myemmanuel.net.